This is Ross Coulthard, and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. For a while now, you might have heard me tell you the podcast is sponsored by Zencaster, and it still is. I've been working with Zencaster as my audio host for quite some time now. The podcasting industry has also grown at an exponential rate over the past two years and it's expected to grow to more than a $150 billion industry by 2030. I've said before, I'm a huge fan of podcasting and if you're a fan of podcasting or investing, maybe both, Zencaster has now announced its round of crowdfunding. You can invest as little as $100 and join a community of other investors who seek to help Zencaster and independent podcasters succeed. If you're interested in investing in Zencaster, go to wefunder.com forward slash Zencaster or click the link in my episode description below to claim your slice of the future of podcasting. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and I'm delighted to finally be joined by a guest that I've wanted on the podcast for some time now. Among many of his accomplishments, he is a writer and producer of many fantastic TV series, including The Wonderful Dark Skies. He is an author and now co-host with Ross Coulthard on the Excellent Need to Know Podcast. I'd like to welcome Bryce Sable. Bryce, welcome. Hey, thanks, Andy. It's a pleasure to be with you and and boy, what interesting times we are living in, huh? It is absolutely wild and a bit hard to keep up. And my worry, Bryce, this is going to go out on Monday the 20th of February for all the free platforms. And I'm thinking in the next four days, we could have full disclosure, oh. UFOs on the White House lawn and everything that entails. You know, we could. I mean, the thing is, uh, I remember when Richard Dolan and I were writing this book, AD After Disclosure, we would sit around well, we basically had a whole year where we asked ourselves, well, what do you think might happen? Could this happen? Could that happen? Let me tell you, the idea that we would shoot down four balloons or and or UAP in a row, three of them on successive days, that never came up in our conversations. That that was a surprise. And I think I think everybody in the world's been a little surprised by it. It's just historic and weird. And and the fact that it went unacknowledged sort of in a in a you know a public transparent way uh, for even a little while was very strange. Well, Bryce, we'll we'll do this topsy turvy from the way I've written it. Sure. We'll see if we get to some of the president stuff just before we talk about modern day. Let's briefly tell some of the listeners who may be unfamiliar with yourself. What's your background, and how have you come to the point you've been so involved now in the UFO topic for for almost thirty years? Yeah, well, they pull you in, don't they? Uh, listen, I started as a journalist. I, my my uh, degree from the University of Oregon is in broadcast uh, journalism. And I worked in television as an anchor and a reporter for a number of years, including um, CNN, where I was a correspondent. And I was an investigative reporter for a PBS uh, show. And um, then, because uh, I was working in Los Angeles when that show got canceled, I was thinking, well, I guess I'm going to have to move. I, I, I guess I'll have to go get a, a gig somewhere else where they'll they'll hire me. And my wife, I wasn't married at the time, said, well, maybe you should try writing. So I tried writing a screenplay and it sold and they made 100 episodes of it up in Canada. So I thought I will keep doing this as long as they keep paying me. And here I am years later. Um, the and, and of course, now I'm. it's kind of strange because I've had – all this television and uh, film projects that are basically dramatic projects. And now suddenly I'm doing this need to know uh, 
broadcast with Ross Coulthart, which is basically journalism. Um, uh, it, and so I, you know, the pendulum swings here I am again and, and I'm enjoying it. I, I, and I, and you know what, we live in a time where you can do whatever you want to do. You don't have to follow. You don't have to say, well, this is the only path. So yeah, I, I'm still working on uh, all of my dramatic projects and some of them, many of them are UFO related and I'm enjoying them a lot, but I, I enjoy the, the kind of uh, journalistic, uh, a kick that you get uh, by being live. I mean, Ross and I did our our first live show last night, yesterday, and uh, it was a little tense uh, because you don't want to screw it up technically. You've got people waiting uh, to hear from you, but it went pretty much without too many hitches and uh, may do it again. I There's just something about when uh, when I started in, in broadcasting, I was an anchor man. Well, that's all live. I mean, you can mm-hmm. record things in the field and come and edit them, but if you're the anchor in the studio, that's live TV, baby, you know, and you, you got to be able to hold forth. And, and, and Ross of course has that same background. So we kind of enjoyed just kicking it around. We're a little unstructured, but we try to get all the information and enjoy it. So that's kind of my background now. Oh, but just to throw in the, a couple of the projects, the first thing I ever wrote uh, on this topic was called Official Denial, and it became the Sci-Fi Channel's first original film. And that was about an abductee and, and, a, and, and frankly, was a movie about shooting down a UFO. Hmm. And, um, and then the Dark Skies series, you mentioned the first episode, um, or the second episode really, was set at Roswell, and it was about shooting down the Roswell UFO. So I, I, the idea that the government and the military might try to bring one of them down is something I've been thinking about for, as you mentioned, a long time. What's kept your interest so strong in your UFO connection? Because you've you've got a storied past in news, journalism, and then television. And the stigma on the UFO topic must be massive, even in those industries still. Oh. What's what's kept you so so involved? Well, there is stigma. Uh and and the the thing I always say to people is at, when I began getting interested in this, I was out in my friends and family always treated me like the drunk uncle at the wedding. It's like, don't talk to you about UFOs to Bryce. He'll go. And uh, that part, I think, is largely gone. Um, I do find, though, that there are a lot of people that just don't want to talk about it. It makes it, uh, them uncomfortable. My family, my wife, my my kids, they all believe that this is a true and, and authentic phenomena. They just don't want to talk about it. It makes them uncomfortable, and I find that's that's common. But you know, th- to go to your question, wh- what's kept me in it? What got me in it? It's a giant mystery. If if uh, twenty years ago the mystery had been solved, I probably wouldn't be doing it right now. But th- the mystery just keeps deepening. The more I read, uh, the more questions I have. The more people I talk to, the more I need to call up somebody else. And I've been trying uh, for literally 30 years now, trying to get my arms around this thing and understand it. I mean, one of the things that my uh, co-creator Brent Friedman and I did on Dark Skies was we tried to be the uh, unified field theory, if you will, of ufology. We were saying, how can all this stuff be reconciled? Uh, How can there be crop circles and animal mutilations and and you know, and now these days, how can we have uh, hitchhikers and skinwalkers and what is going on? Um, I know enough now to be dangerous in speculation, but I don't know the truth. And I don't think very many people do. 
Well, let's look at the last couple of weeks then to bring things up today. Um, I doubt many people listening by now won't know what's been going on. It's made international news, and that's not me overstating it. It has yeah. a Chinese spy balloon was downed, and then there, there are reports that three other objects were shot down or at least shot at of various shapes and sizes. First off, why do you think, Bryce, this has played out so publicly? That is I, actually, Andy, that is one of the greatest questions because uh, you could imagine that this might have happened before, but the the government or the military might have thought, well, there's no reason anyone needs to know about this, so we'll, we'll it's it's classified. So you're right. What is so different about this one? I think it is clearly one of the first shoot downs, if not if not the shoot downs. But the fact that they came day after day with no warning, why? Uh, why so public? I haven't figured that one out yet. I, I could, you know, we can speculate. I'm not really sure. And I know, uh, as you said, uh, this show may air a little later than we're recording it. Uh, as we record it, uh, President Biden is scheduled to speak about it today. Uh, I'm not overly optimistic that he's going to lay out anything that we don't know already. I think he will pretty well lay out the, the government line. And um, and and I, I wish it was more. I wish that he would use that opportunity, the focus people have right now on the UAP issue. And instead of saying, yeah, well, it was Chinese and, and other surveillance platforms and nothing to see here. Let's all just move on and know that we're working on it. I mean, this is an opportunity to expand uh, the the dialogue. I mean, clearly, UAP is not limited to Chinese balloons. It is uh, something that's been going on for a long, long time, and in modern times, uh, in great numbers since the uh, 1940s. So, yeah, why would they shoot these things down now? Uh, it, you know, every time I want to. Ascribe a, a sort of a conspiratorial theory to it. Well, they're doing it because they're trying to shift attention, or any any of those kind of descriptions. You also have to say they did it because it was just dumb luck the way it went down. That that they shot down that Chinese balloon first, and then because the administration took some heat for not shooting it down earlier, somebody said, "Well." There's a lot of these things out there. Let's let's shoot a few of them down and show people how tough we are. I don't know. I, I'm curious. What is your take? What do you think? I think if it hadn't been caught on camera by members of the public, that, that balloon on the camera phones, uh, right. I don't think this story necessarily comes out because it, it was something they then had to address. And I don't know. I think if that had happened in the UK, I don't think it plays out at all that way at all. Um, I think because it's the US and it's very American that, you know, even I, I remember in, in, in college, I'd done a journalism course and one of my presentations was about how the American media dramatized war. And I used to play clips comparing how the BBC would report on the war in Iraq and Afghanistan compared to how Fox and CNN. And it was almost like a, a show. You know, it was yeah. it was grand it was grandized and it was huge and it looked like there was fanfare around these these events and I think it's just something the main the mainstream media in the US has picked up on and and they've ran with it. But what what I wonder is they've used a lot of interesting language. We've heard ET mentioned at one point, sure. you know, jokingly or not. Um, is this as simple though as it is foreign adversarial technology? It's Chinese or another state actor 
Right. Or is there a potential that in amongst all of this, there is at least some part of it that is that other non-human aspect potentially? I think, I think that is the the, the rest of the story. I, I, you know, people want to say, uh, jump to extraterrestrial or alien. I, I, I don't jump there yet because I don't really know. I have some theories. I have, you have theories, your listeners have theories. Um, I just don't think that all of them can be explained the easy way and that some of them, um, that have been flying around are being flown about by somebody who's not us um, from someplace that isn't here. And what the specifics of that are, I'm very interested in knowing. And particularly since the move in, um, in DC these days is to bring in whistleblowers um, to talk in classified hearings about legacy programs I guess my only thing is, okay, let's get that phase over with because it's time to get to some public hearings or at least some public admissions about what, what, what programs have existed. And in fact, I mean, let's face it, if anybody were to admit there's a legacy program out there that dealt with UFO crash wreckage, that's almost game over in the disclosure game. I mean, once, once you admit something like that, then you're into a new world. And I keep thinking we are close to that world now. There are people out there who think, and I don't think it's too unfair at the moment, that this is one of those slow drips toward that disclosure with the capital D. And thinking of someone like yourself who's written many a screenplay, this plays out like the start of an Independence Day or War of the Worlds where the US government are encountering objects in the sky. Oh, it's a balloon. Oh, it's a foreign drone. But then all of a sudden, ah, one of them isn't. And China comes out and denies it. Russia comes out and denies it. And the next thing... Russia shooting them down, China shooting them down, and then we get the you know the full scale invasion as Hollywood would make it out. Do you think there's anything like that to this situation that it's being engineered in a way for that to happen, or is that at the minute too much of a stretch? Well, I I, I don't think we have the the evidence to support it, but we don't have the evidence to say it's not true. I mean, there tends to be reasons for things, and if this thing happened the way it did, then uh, potentially. There's uh, some possibilities that we should be talking about, but you're right. As a Hollywood dramatist, I look at what just happened and I'm like, okay, this is good. Let's get to work. Because like, I'll give you an example. What is the thing that they've talked about the most in this thing? It's a, a safety of flight issue. Yeah. Right. That's what the hook has been. It's like, okay, we're going to pay attention to this because they were flying too low. They were flying at 40,000 feet, these other objects, or 20,000 feet. And so therefore, um, uh, it's a flight safety issue. We have to look into it. So I kind of ran with that. I have a podcast, scripted podcast, not the need to know podcast, but I've been hired to write a scripted podcast and it's called Undeniable. And it literally is about a a, a mid-air collision between a UAP and a commercial jet. And uh, and it's told through the news, and it's it's pretty riveting and and exciting. I think people will like it. But what's interesting about it is it's not too far from those headlines that you were talking about. Once once you admit something is a safety of flight issue, well, then it's not a big stretch for the dramatist to say, okay, well, let's crash a couple of them. Let's see what happens. So yeah, it's a uh, some of this is a field day for for dramatists, but. Um, I think in the end, we may soon find out, uh, well, I don't know how soon, but we will 
ultimately find out that the truth was probably stranger than the fiction that we've been creating. And that may explain uh, 80 years of uh, secrecy. Well, as we record this, we're still waiting on President Biden making that statement. And I I agree with you. I think it's going to heavily focus on national security, aviation safety. I don't think or expect to hear anything about non-humans, entities or or aliens or UFOs, unless it's being said with a smirk. And I don't think that's ever been Biden's way whenever I I have seen him talk anyway. Um, But do you think this could be an address that if the media who are present get the opportunity to ask questions or follow up these sorts of addresses could become more and more the norm that we do get the opportunity here to hear generals and presidents talk about the ufo issue in a serious way because we're still hearing that background laughter track at times on this yeah i honestly i felt like we took a step backward as i sat and watched the news over the last week or 10 days uh i was hoping for more i was hoping that most reporters would be able to put one and one together and get two. The The first one is, okay, reports are coming about out about UAP and the government has admitted they're real and uh, they have performance characteristics that don't seem to make sense uh, by conventional aircraft. So that's one. And then the other is, okay, now we've got some out there that we're tracking and we're shooting some of them down. You would think that the reporters would contextualize that and say, well, these may not be the the uh, anomalous craft, uh, maybe they are surveillance uh, platforms, but this is a big issue. But they tended not to do that. Uh, I, I agree with you. I still heard people smile and snicker and, and um, you know, I'm saying, did I, I wrote something down. I guess I don't have it here on my desk. Let me just see. Um, can't find it. But I watched a lot of stuff where I just thought, you know, you have an opportunity with your platform, whether you're a, a CNN uh, anchor or or a, a field reporter, to contextualize this. And, and people didn't. They still fell back on, if I'm going to mention UFOs, I'm talking about tinfoil hats and little green men. And I'm using phrases like UFO buff or UFO enthusiast. And I'm just so sick to death of that. These stereotypes weren't good, weren't valid when they were first being trotted out in the 50s and 60s. And believe me, uh, Andy, I don't think they've gotten better with age. And I, I so, yeah, I was rather disappointed because we'd been moving in a direction when people talked about UAP, they were actually taking it seriously and talking about the unknowns. And then suddenly during the coverage of this event, it went from, well, we're not really talking about the unknowns. These are easy to know. We got a Chinese balloon and the others, they're easy to know. So I guess the the whole UAP issue has been overblown and, and doesn't really, we've identified all of them. To hear a lot of reporters and anchors talk about it, they acted like if we could identify these four shoot down objects, then the problem was solved. And there, there weren't, and the, the government report was says, well, they haven't identified them all, but they will. And I didn't. Yeah. 
no, I agree. In the last couple of years, as as the conversation, like you say, has become more serious, and we've seen journalists asking some really pertinent questions around the UFO reports, the UAP report, and just actually raising an eyebrow and saying, is there something to this? That's still been relatively right. small scale. It's not become national news and not been an international focus like we've had. And I've tried to say to people online, including a number of you know UFO influencers, not to get too excited that, oh, this means disclosure's coming because a journalist asked a question at a White House press briefing. Because what we've seen now, like you say, is a truly international UFO incident as best we've had. Right. And we've reverted back to there's your large scale press presence. Yes. And they're laughing about it. And, and even in the UK, we have picked up on the story, which never really happens in the last couple of years with the UFO task force reports. And it's largely being mocked uh, again and laughed at. I agree with you, but I will say I see a, a reason for optimism, not because I believe human nature has changed and people are going to do the right thing. But here's my reason for optimism. If you if you just sort of take aside the silly news coverage and subtract that and go deeper, you do see a number of senators and congressmen and women in, in the U.S. saying, this is not good. It's not acceptable that we didn't know what these things were and that we shot them down and we don't know what the rules are and we need answers. You hear that refrain over and over and over. Now, what most of them are talking about is, you know, I want to know what the Chinese are up to. I want to know if the Russians are sending these. I want to know if other state actors are doing it. That's fine. But they're talking about commissions and uh, committees and hearings. And here's how I look at this. You can start a hearing and say, this is a hearing to get to the bottom of the UAP issue. And you're going to start talking to people about Chinese balloons. And then you're going to ask other questions and you're going to pull out that UAP report that the government put out. And you're going to say, well, wait a minute. If there were, if there's still 300 uh, unidentified ones of the ones that you were looking at, do you think they're all balloons? And the answer would be no. Well, then what do you think they are? Well, they're unknown. I got to tell you, I think there's the possibility for any, uh, uh, commission and or committee to sort of spiral toward the truth. You start kicking over one rock after another. Let's kick over that China rock. Let's kick over that Russia rock. And then you get those rocks kicked over and you say, well, what does that leave? You are going to ask some uncomfortable questions. And remember, there's already people in Congress that even though they don't talk about it often, you know that they know the anomalous sightings have a very real possibility of turning out to be non-human. I mean, you've heard it in the statements made by people from Marco Rubio to Mitt Romney to uh, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand. Uh, you you hear and you know what they're thinking. And also uh, on on our Need to Know show, uh, Ross Coltart and I have been contacted by a number of sources um, who are, I guess they were a little befuddled by this whole shooting down. You know, to hear them tell it, we, we, we would say, well, what do you think is going on? And and normally, an insider source would say, well, this is what's going on, but you won't hear that from me and you won't hear that from anybody else. But a lot of the people we talked to when this started were saying things like, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing here. I don't get it. And, um, and so we have entered into a new phase. That's all I can tell. And, and when the history books, there will be history books written about UFOs that are serious and sober accounts 
And those history books are going to have a chapter about the days that we're living in. And, uh, and we may be closer to the end game than we've ever been before. I'd like to thank user interviews for sponsoring this episode. Folks, after the holiday period, many of us start to feel that pinch in our bank balances. I know with having young kids, I certainly do. So earning a little extra income never hurts. That's where user interviews can help you out. It's completely free to sign up. By giving some of your time, you can get paid for providing feedback on new or existing products with companies like Spotify, Adobe, Intuit and Amazon, among those looking to speak with quality participants. Most studies are less than one hour and pay over $68. Some studies pay several hundred dollars for a one-to-one interview. This is one that really does give you something back for your time and I'm really glad to be able to give folks an opportunity to make a bit of extra cash at a very tough time of year. So why not even stick on an episode of the podcast while you sign up? That can take less than five minutes. Are you ready to earn extra income from sharing your expert opinion? Then head over to userinterviews.com slash hello to sign up and participate today. Well, you've mentioned the Need to Know podcast you done yesterday as we record this, the 15th of February. It was your first live with yourself and Ross. Ross mentioned that there's a real disconnect between the Air Force and the White House yes. on this topic and subject, and I don't think that will shock many. Who holds the cards here when it comes to the UFO discussion in the US government? Well, that is to be determined, isn't it? I think uh, the president of the United States is finding himself in the middle of that little tug of war as well. Just to bring your um, listeners and viewers up to speed here, um, it has been historic that the Air Force was sort of in the early days of this, the historical perspective was, well, these things are flying around in the sky. I guess we should call the Air Force in. And that's what got you Project Blue Book and, and all the other ones, Project Sign, Project Grudge. And, and uh, the, those were Air Force investigations. But remember one thing. If you study your UFO history, you'll find that even while all these sightings in the air were being reported, there was always a constant undercurrent, no pun intended, a constant undercurrent from the sea where, where there were sightings in the sea. And so the Navy was always interested in it. Uh, they just didn't get the starring role. When we did Dark Skies, uh, one of the things that Brent Friedman and I did is we, we had Majestic 12 as, as kind of the backdrop to the whole thing. And that's a whole nother discussion. But the person we put in charge was someone who was from the Office of Naval Intelligence. And uh, so we didn't put an Air Force off, officer in. Now, where are we right now? We're in a situation where... Uh, you don't just take my word for it. Chris Mellon's written about this extensively. Um, but the Air Force was not helpful, as they should have been, in the preparation of those reports, and the Navy was. I mean, clearly you have a division of some kind going on where people in the Air Force would rather we just keep all this buttoned up and let's not, let's not go crazy here. And people in the Navy seem almost a little fed up. Because their pilots are encountering this stuff, and they'd like answers. So um, what Ross was saying on the show is that uh, we have developed a source who has told us that um, a high-level officer in the Navy has literally gone uh, to the White House to say that the Air Force is lying to you about what's going on. And if... If that bears fruit and turns out to be 
true and we think it is, then that means that this issue has escalated beyond just something you and I, Andy, might talk about and and kick around with our friends at a party <clears throat> and is now something that uh, because Congress is interested, we passed that uh, whistleblower legislation with the new uh, National Defense Authorization Act. There are a lot of moving pieces. And I guess the only way I can sell, say it is some of them are, rein, are re-for, reinforcing behavior and taking away from behavior. The whole f- way that this has been dealt with over the years appears to be changing. And and yes, uh, the essence of your question is, do we have a division? It looks like we do. Um, and let's face it, what's something that w- Washington could do that could happen in Washington right now that would change the game immediately? Leaks. I mean, you know, Ross and I are journalists. We, we leaks are how you find things. Uh, people uh, who want the truth out uh, talk to journalists, and journalists print it, and then people react to it. So I think we are also getting to the place where the idea that there's a, a, a kind of a conflict uh, between the Air Force and the Navy, which has historically, as we said, existed a long time now may be coming into the open because the the congressional committee people seem to be saying, we want to look into these legacy programs. And by legacy programs, they mean programs designed to reverse engineering captured craft. So, you know, all I can say to your listeners and viewers, fasten your seatbelts, folks. It's about to get crazy. Interesting you mentioned that, the leaks, you know, the potential for that. And I wonder if this was a family feud, the, the bastard-headed, the bastard ginger-headed stepchild even of the the family would be Arrow, which is the office that was set up to investigate right. all of this. And it's incredible how how little they're being mentioned within all of this over the last week or so. And I wonder, is this not their opportunity to take charge and get a piece of footage or a photograph out to say, okay, all this is going on and there may be surveillance, spy tech, secret tech that we can't talk about and all that kind of stuff. However, there are things that we don't know what they truly are and appear to be anomalous. And here's something akin to the gimbal footage, for example, or the extended version of the gimbal footage that we know is out there to then wrestle back control of this a little bit and stamp some authority. Well, again, there, uh, if I look at the China situation and the, it's not all China. We don't, we don't know, but the, the four shoot downs, I look at that uh, I guess the phrase, I, I don't know if I've coined it, but I, this is how I see it. It's like the gateway drug to disclosure, all right? Because what is happening is they're not all Chinese drones, and they certainly aren't all Chinese drones going back to the 40s, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think China had an Air Force in the 40s, so they certainly didn't have drones flying around. And, and you know, these. so uh, I almost forgot what the question was. The question is what? That can Arrow take advantage here? And oh, if they Arrow. get something yes, out, yeah. okay, Arrow stands for the All Domain uh, Anomaly, Anomaly Resolution, Resolution Office. Yeah, harder to say, but actually, they by naming the organization Arrow, it's at least easier to say that than the previous name Aimsog. So I look at Arrow as an improvement. I am a little uh, shocked that Arrow which was set up specifically for all domain anomaly resolution office. Why weren't they heavily involved in what just happened in the last week? Aren't those anomalies that need resolution? 
I mean, so by definition, they should have been involved. And I think the answer is they have hardly anybody hired there yet. So they didn't have the ability to, but that's what Arrow should do. And if Biden said anything, I wish he would just say, you know, we've created, Congress has uh, has asked for the creation of the Arrow office. I've signed it into law. And uh, I think we need to make sure they're funded and we need to, to get answers. Um, I tend to believe uh, Kamala Harris was on the Senate Intel Committee and Biden was, I believe, a member of the Gang of Eight uh, in security for years. These people know what's going on in the UAP and UFO world, but they probably don't want to be the first people to talk about it publicly at a presidential and vice presidential level. So I think they would prefer to use what you were talking about earlier in this conversation to sort of leak, get it out a little bit at a time, dribs and drabs. And so the best thing to do would be to turn it over to Arrow and let them start talking to people in an in a honest and effective way. Do you think President Joe Biden is the guy who's going to give the statement one day to say? Only if he alone? has to. Only if he has to. I don't, you know, let me put it this way. Either of the Clintons, Bill Clinton or Hillary Clinton, ha- uh, Bill Clinton, if he could have gotten the information, would have put it out. Hillary mm-hmm. Clinton felt that she did have the information and she wanted to be the, the disclosure president. She just didn't get elected. Um Trump never really took it that seriously. He talked about it a couple of times, but yeah. it wasn't a focus of his. And Obama, for example, um, is a very interesting case right now because Obama never was comfortable talking about this while he was president. I mean, he made jokes about it. He deflected it. He never brought it up. He was not into talking about UAP. Now, yeah. Just no question whatsoever. But in the last year, uh, starting with his appearance on, of all people, the Jimmy Kimmel show, he basically said what the report said. He goes, yep, there are things flying around out there and we don't particularly know how they work. And he confirmed the reality of anomalous uh, aircraft. Okay. And I think it is, you know, he would have been of the mental state to be able to do it. Biden, I just think Biden is not going to be the guy that wants to do it. He will do it if 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 a craft lands on the White House lawn to use the cliche, Biden will go out there and shake their hands, you know, but if they have hands. Um but Biden is not going to be the guy who's calling his cabinet together and saying, "We got to figure out how to get the truth out about this." That's not going to be him. It's going to be somebody else. Before we then look back to look at some of those past presidents, and I think there's a, an interesting conversation around the Clintons, you know, Podesta sure. was involved in that, and, and going back a little bit further, that was the original plan for this recording before all this happened. Right. I wonder, how do you see the next couple of days and weeks playing out? Does this story just fizzle out, or do you think this is one that, that catches fire? I think the, st- well, the story has already fizzled out as a as a daily story. Uh, one of the things I noticed, I, I always, every morning go, you know, go on my computer and I, I check various news sources, you know, a wide variety. I am not, you know, I I'll check Fox. I'll check CNN. I'll check NBC. I also checked NPR national public radio here. And I noticed this is just two days ago. They had 21 stories that were listed on their website. 
of, of stories that they felt were important enough in the news to follow. And not a single one of them had anything to do with the shoot downs. Okay. That was just two days ago. So I think the story as a story about Chinese surveillance, it's acute, imminent, we have to deal with it now status has gone away. And it, it, it it's tailing out, and there'll still be a lot of uh, conversations about what it meant, but so, not all of them are going to make it as breaking news. So I, I don't think that the, the story like that is going to widen. I do think, though, um, that people are talking. Now, before things go public in a in a well, I mean, let's face it, the United States has the biggest military in the world and the, and more classification of more documents and things than anybody else in history. It's a lot of classification here. Um, so before things get announced publicly, they have to be talked about privately. So that's why I don't get too upset about, you know, I don't, I don't think anyone's putting the toothpaste back in the tube. Uh, we're not going back to where we were in the 50s and the 60s. We're moving forward. I'm I'm happy to see people talking about this in classified meetings because I know they also talk to people and people ask them things. And when people are talking about it privately, that's the first step to where before they can talk about it publicly. We're, we're making progress. I, I don't doubt for a moment that progress is being made on this. I really don't. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of the Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. I've never had a Harry Potter reference yet here, and you know where they've got they've got nice. the cup, they've got the cup in the middle of the maze, and we can see yeah. the cup, we can see the goal, but they've put the maze up, and the maze is going to keep shifting, and we have to keep finding our way there. We're going to go back, we're going to go sideways, and we're going to get lost. But I think there's the opportunity to still go and get that that end goal. Well, I, I do too. Uh, I, I, you know, listen, um, one of my favorite quotes comes from the Dr. Strangelove movie and, uh, the general played by George C. Scott is Buck Turgidson. And he's trying to explain to the president how nuclear war is going to work and how, how being attacked by the Soviet union would play out in America. And he says to the president, he goes, I'm not saying we're not going to get our hair must. And I actually think that's pretty descriptive of what disclosure is going to be. Um, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a simple road. It's not going to be overnight. We're going to get our hair mussed. Uh, it, it, it's, it's going to be disruptive. It is the ultimate disruption. I mean, people love to throw that phrase around. Oh, well, I'm a disruptor. Baby, you're not a disruptor until you tell people there's aliens or non-humans flying around the earth, then you're disrupting things. Now, uh, so things are going to come apart a little bit before they have the potential of coming back together. But here's the thing, as you and I have talked about, we don't know exactly what the truth is. And the truth may be so hard to get your brain around that that, that may explain half of why we haven't been told the truth over the years. In other words, if you could figure out how to tell the truth in a way that doesn't break down the very essence of government and um, and f- cause people to have mental breakdowns or not show up for work, you might tell them. But maybe the truth is so bizarre and so challenging, and maybe it's not it's not A or B or even C. It's like Z. I mean, it it may be just something where. 
you know, somebody who's really in the know might have a hard time explaining it exactly to, to you or me. You know, we, we'd be listening, we'd want to understand it, but they might say, you know what, I'm going to have to get a team of scientists to come here to explain it to you because I'm not doing very well. And that's kind of how I feel it's going to come down, which is why I'm not the young man I used to be. And I would like to see this issue uh, resolved in my lifetime, but I don't think, we're, I, and I, and I guess now I'm, I've come down to the idea that there will be some form of acknowledgement. I would call it confirmation. Um, but I don't think in my lifetime I'm going to know exactly what the truth is because that will be a developing story. And as opposed to Chinese balloons, uh, the actual disclosure or confirmation of a non-human reality is, is going to be the story that never stops giving. I mean, if you're a reporter, I mean, you know, Ross and I've talked about it. We're like, well, what happens if they disclose? Do we shut the show down? You know, and the answer is hell no. I mean, yeah. you don't shut the show down and you're going to be doing shows. You're going to have to go from weekly to daily, uh, you know, when this happens, because there's just, there's so many permutations to the story. So I just am hopeful that we can get past the confirmation phase and get into the coverage phase sooner than later. Excellent. Nice little roundup there. And I'll give a shout out to my friend, longtime friend Gav, who's a massive fan of the Doctor Strange Love movie. You mentioned that. So <laughs> I remember him being obsessed with a DVD back in the day, um, even though that movie came out long before DVDs. Um, listen, it's uh, Monday, 20th of February is President's Day in the United States. Do you mind just giving the listeners who are listening or the viewers not from the States an idea of what President's Day is? Oh, Sure. You know, um, I actually don't know when they first started it. It may have, you know, it might have been Lincoln's birthday or something that later got turned into President's Day. Mm -hmm. The main reason we have holidays in the United States is to give people a day off, right? It's not that we're, you know, people are not solemnly huddled in, uh, you know, uh, their community centers to observe and venerate our presidents. That's not happening. People just say, oh, great, it's President's Day. Let's go to the mall. Uh, We should have some sales. So President's Day doesn't mean anything in that regard. But but, people do think about it. I think about President's Day in the context of the UFO UAP issue, though, uh, as one that um, where when the truth is actually discussed, it's going to put the president center stage. Some of them will have known more than others. Um, some of them might have known nothing. Some of them might have known everything there was to know. And uh, you could probably write a book about the presidents at that point when the when the truth comes out, because uh, clearly, no matter whether they knew everything or knew nothing, the behavior has been roughly the same, which is we're not going to tell anybody about it. At some, now, you do get... Um, from time to time, people will make the argument. They'll they'll say, "Well, why would the presidents be told anything? They're just an employee. They're there as a short timer. They're there for eight years max, maybe four years." And uh, you know, the people who are managing this secret uh, take the long view. I, I don't know that I particularly buy that. Uh, I think a president that wants to know can make waves. Although, let's look at the Clinton example. Clinton got into office, Bill Clinton, 1993, uh, went to his attorney, Webster Hubble, and said, "Uh, Webster, listen, I want you to go find out two things for me. I want you to find out who killed JFK, 
and I want you to tell me what's going on with UFOs. And basically, Hubble went out for a couple, three months and asked around and came back to Clinton and said, I can't get anything on either of them. So sometimes presidents don't get told. Let me sidestep that quick, not sidetrack it even. How does Tom DeLong manage to get around that then and get to the point he did when Clinton couldn't? Well, okay. Tom DeLong is deniable, right? Um, you can say about Tom DeLong, what would he know? He's a rock musician. He's probably making it all up, which, by the way, uh, Ross and I do not believe he's making it all up. I mean, clearly, he has had the conversations. The, these, these, the Clinton emails that were released actually proved that Podesta, uh, John Podesta and, and DeLong had had conversations. So, but, but he's more deniable. Whereas Clinton, a president, I mean, if a president starts, let me put it this way. If Bill Clinton had gone on a show like the Joe Rogan show and expounded for two hours about aliens and and ancient aliens and all the things Tom DeLong talks about, that would have been a story that would have mesmerized the world and changed the world overnight. Tom DeLong does the same thing, and we go, "That's interesting." Uh, what you want to get breakfast? Uh, it, it's it's like they're just different things. Um, it doesn't mean, by the way, that DeLong's a liar. It, it just means that he wasn't president. He was a rock star. And uh, it's it, and, and again, uh, the one thing that Richard Dolan and I always thought while researching after disclosure is there's got to be somebody. If, if you've had an 80-year secret, there's got to be some. And, and you've spent trillions of dollars on it, not just doing the research, but covering it up. There's got to be somebody or some group that has a plan for how this is supposed to go. Now, maybe they keep uh, innovating on the plan, but the plan obviously included something that involved Tom DeLonge. And uh, it may have been a trial balloon. Again, not no irony with the balloon thing, but it, it may have simply been, okay, let's try this thing with DeLonge and see if that works. And probably by now, uh, if you were an insider, you'd say, it worked as well as we could expect. It got TTSA out there. It got some of these people well-known. And now we're moving into a new phase. And the people who are pressing for further disclosures uh, are probably reasonably happy with what happened. What do you think changed from Bill Clinton to Hillary Clinton that Tom DeLong got with the Podesta team? And there was going to be a team A that wouldn't have been Lou Elizondo, Chris Mellon, Jim Semivan. Sure. It would have been a different group. We, we know that now. But do you have any idea or can you speculate on what changed in that time that if she had got into office, she could have been the disclosure president? Uh, a couple of things. Um, I think John Podesta uh, probably knew less when he was working with Bill than he did in the years after, because he's had a lifetime interest in this. And so he's probably had talked to a lot of people. And I also believe the Clintons, uh, I clearly Bill realized he'd been snowed by somebody. I mean, he was the president and he couldn't get all the answers that he wanted. So um, he and Hillary probably said to themselves, there's a, this story isn't as crazy as you'd think because they don't want to talk to you about it. So they probably did research, and uh, it, it seems clear that Hillary thought she 
you know, would be able to wield the levers of power to to get some kind of disclosure going. Um, that's what I think changed. Number one, um, that they had internal circumstances that changed, but I think externally, just take a look. Clinton leaves office in two thousand one. Well, just think how the public's opinion about UFOs was changing rapidly from 2001 through uh, when Hillary is running in 2016. Those are pretty big years for people to start to say, you know, something is not quite right. We all know it. We know something's not quite right on this issue. And like I said, the the thing that has helped it keep the secret over the years has been a lot of people that know that something's not quite right, just still don't want to talk about it. Right. That, but then there's people like you, Andy, and people like me and people like your listeners and viewers who do want to talk about it. And we have found each other in the years from 2001 through 2016, if you will, through the internet. And, and so I guess my second part of it is the first is the Clintons got interested and, and they had Podesta as an ally. And the second is the public had the internet in a big way and they could start to talk to each other. And people like you and me realized, oh, we're not alone. Now, I don't mean not alone in the universe. We're not alone on earth uh, being able to find people that want to talk about this with us. And um, now, you know, there's a hundred or 200 or 300 podcasts about talking about this. You've got one. I've got one. I mean, it's almost like you can't get viewers for your pod or for your listeners for your podcast because everyone's doing their own podcast. I mean, that's how, you know, it's, it's so ironic. This is a secret. That's not much of a secret. Yeah. As Ross would say, it's in plain sight, isn't it? So yes, it is uh, and obviously his, book, his books there. I see that. Um, Thank you. I'll tell, he'll be very happy to see that by the way. Uh, if people are interested to know a little bit more about this need to know thing, just go to need to know dot today. It's as simple as we could make it need to know, run it all together dot today. And that'll take you to a site where you can get all that stuff. And all of those links for need to know will be in the description Thank as well. You. They'll just have I to click on them that. and it'll take them straight there. I listen to it and watch it as well. I, I prefer listening to it. I'm, I'm an audio guy. I've always said that's interesting. I, good, good. Thank oh, you. I, I'm, a, I'm a purist, a radio guy. Um, I want to know a little bit more, though, on, on Hillary Clinton. If she had beaten Trump, as everyone sort of expected, you know, other than yeah. Trump supporters, and, and they got in from the UK, we were pretty shocked when Trump won. If it had been, you know, sliding doors moment, Hillary gets in, do you think she gets to to make that discovery, that announcement, or do you think it gets obfuscated and hidden away? And can you see it really playing out? I can. Uh, I could also see her being killed, you know? Uh, really? I, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, if it, it depends on how the people that are curating the secret, you know, what, how desperate they think it is to keep it not out there. Uh, anything could have happened. It's interesting. I've, uh, outside of my UFO stuff, I've written a couple of, uh, what if books, um, yeah that have both won uh, the Sidewise Award for Alternate History. One of them was about what if JFK survived Dallas, and the other was what if the Beatles stayed together. So they weren't necessarily UFO uh, books, although both have a UFO connection. JFK supposedly did know something about UFOs and was interested. And certainly the Beatles had John Lennon's uh, UFO sighting back in 1974. But my point is, 
what I was looking for in those books was a great what if, one where you could see, wow, history would really cleave in a different direction. Well, think about that with Hillary Clinton. I could write a great third book on that if I had the time, where it'd be Hillary Clinton gets in instead of Trump. What happens to the UFO issue? I think that it would have been her intent. It seems clear now it would have been her intent to uh, usher in uh, an era of some extra transparency on the issue. I don't know that she would have, um, I doubt that she would have given every reporter in the nation a hard drive with terabytes of photos or anything, but I think she might have acknowledged um, there are things in the sky. We don't know what they are. Um, I'm looking into it. Um, the, the government's going to look into it and we're all in this together. Uh, she might've said something like that. Um, but I don't know. Uh, clearly that was her intent though. I do think that's her intent. And, and, and we both know Steve Bassett, the, um, political activist on the UFO issue. He certainly thinks that's the absolute truth. You mentioned uh, previous presidents, obviously the Bushes, both were in administration. One of the listeners had sent me over a question I want to try and ask. Um, Bryce, you've previously recounted, this is from Dave Smethurst, um, that a senior politician who was in the Bush cabinet told you when you were younger that the truth about UFOs and others was existentially shocking. Do you often think about what he meant by that? And does that still worry you? Well, I'll tell you, it, it certainly... To do justice to that story would hijack the rest of our time together. So I'll, I'll give you a very short version of it, and, and I guess we kind of move on. Um, prior to um, creating Dark Skies, I met with my partner, Brent Friedman, and uh, I didn't know him at the time, and he told me a story about when he was an 18-year-old, and he had been hired to drive a car across the United States to deliver it to someone who was in Reagan's cabinet, uh, who lived in the neighborhood he was at and was a family friend. And that this person um, was uh, the undersecretary of the Navy in the first term and secretary of energy in the second term. And that he told Brent some harrowing things, which I'm just not going to get into right now. It's too long of a story, but suffice it to say, this person felt that his very basis of reality had been challenged, that he had been briefed and the briefing wasn't so good. And I'll just, I'll, I'll just give you the one quote. Um, he said he cried himself to sleep every night during the briefing period, which apparently was six to eight weeks. And uh, Brent asked him why. And he said, because I have, I have daughters and this is the world they're going to live in. And th that is kind of existentially disquieting, right? So, I, you know, I actually believe that story to be true. I mean, I've looked into it and and I know Brent's um, truthfulness. So I think there is a darker side to this. It doesn't mean there isn't a lighter side. I have not heard uh, the lighter side in the same kind of graphic relief that I, I heard about the darker side. Um, I don't know if that, what the question was, um, where am I going with this? Just oh, yeah. um, what, what do you think he meant and does it worry you? Which I think you've answered within that. Yeah, okay. yeah. I, I, I just think that this person, and by the way, Ross and I are looking into this story, so you'll hear more about it in the future. And also I'm writing a book right now uh, where I'm going to try to lay out the whole thing because I just think it's part of the historical record now. When we were doing Dark Skies, I didn't think of it that way. I thought, well, that's a great story. Now let's go do a TV series. Um, but now that I'm thinking of this in an equally journalistic way. 
I think it's an important part of history that should be preserved. In fact, I urge everyone who's ever seen anything or heard anything, uh, you know, this is the time to write it down. This is the time to to make sure that the the historical record for future historians to to find needs to be as clear as possible. So if you've got a story that never got told, or even if you it was told, write it down in as much specificity as possible and share it because um, because we obviously know there's a phenomenon and we need to get our our, our arms around it and figure out what it means to us. On your latest episode, Bryce, yourself and Ross have said that uh, this is a time that listeners and viewers to podcasts and shows like these need to rattle the cages of representatives. And for me, I would say regardless of whatever country you're in, because the subject is being put under the spotlight right now, whether that's under the auspices of spy technology, balloons or whatever that may entail. I think this is the chance now, isn't it, to take advantage and, and make sure your voice is heard. How do you think people should best do that? Well, I listen, I I literally one time came up with 20 things I thought people should do to try to increase the chance of disclosure. And they were really granular. Um, they included when you find a great UFO book, buy three copies of it and give two of them away to your friends and uh, tell them to read them. And when they're done reading them, tell them to give them to friends because we they know that it needs to get out there. But um, I I, you know, listen, it never hurts to consult with your representatives and tell them that you want more openness. I'm, I'm in favor of that. Um, and, and people should do that. I do think though, you raise a larger question, which is something we should clearly say on your podcast and that Ross and I say all the time, he's from Australia. I'm from the U S this is not a United States only issue. It is not a United States only problem. It's a global issue and a global problem. Um, and th- when we talk about disclosure, uh, it doesn't have to come from the United States. I've actually heard that there are several countries that are have been waiting for the United States to make its move. And if it doesn't, they're going to make their move. And uh, we could end up in a disclosure race. I mean, let's imagine you were talking about Joe Biden. Let's imagine that Joe Biden is getting his presidential daily briefing and um, his advisors say, it looks like the UK is going to own up to this and they're going to release photos and or whatever, you know, whatever. I'm not saying I've heard that about the UK. I'm just saying as an example, uh, wouldn't the president of the United States well, you'd probably first get on the phone and, and ask the prime minister, are you crazy? Why are you doing this? But if you found out that they were going to do it anyway, the United States would have an interest in not being scooped on their own story there. I mean, if they've got yeah. crash wreckage and and have been looking into it, that would be the time to come clean about it. So there's a lot of levers and triggers for uh, for things to be changed. And the one thing that I think we can all agree on is the possibility of surprise. Not one of us two weeks ago thought there were going to be four UAP shot down in a week. Nobody, yeah. right? And it just happened. So it could ha- something else could happen. And in fact, that podcast that I'm working on, the the scripted one, uh, is literally about that. You know, you just you're cruising along, and then something happens in the news that opens up the curtains and says, "There's a whole world you weren't even seeing out there." It's like the Matrix, uh, if you will. 
Bryce, to wrap up, because you've been great with your time, and I do need to hold you to get you back on at some point, because I have three pages of listener questions that we've not managed to get to. I thank you. I'll drink to my A&W with you. Yeah, hopefully there's a few of them answered within the body of the interview. But uh, Bryce, just to recap, how can people find you, and also how can they find your work? Yeah, okay, listen. I think we're all encouraging that dialogue. So yes, we are. Uh, Again, uh, for the Need to Know podcast, needtoknow.today. No problem. Uh, Ross and I maintain a fairly active Twitter presence. Not everybody's on there these days, but uh, I have two Twitter accounts. One is at Bryce Zabel, B-R-Y-C-E-Z-A-B-E-L. The other is at Hollywood UFOs um, uh, because they're a little different. Ross is at Ross Coltart uh, on Twitter. And, um, you know, when you go to our site, there's even a place where you can write us. So, you know, people can write us when they want. We don't get to answer everything because literally, I just have to tell you this because I think it's so revealing of what we're dealing with here. Ross and I did that first live show uh, yesterday that you were kind enough to listen to and thank you so much. And when we were done with it, in the next hour, Ross received 700 emails. Now, how is he supposed to deal with that? He's one person. You know, you know, you've been caught in an email thread that generates 20 emails, right? Yeah. It's very hard. But what it tells me is that people are hungry for this dialogue. And what you and I are doing is, uh, is the right thing right now. And what your listeners are doing is the right thing. So I would say to them, get in contact. Um, and I, I guess one horse that I ride on this issue is don't just listen to your fine podcast or our fine podcast or, or anyone else's. You know, when we talk about, say, the government report that got put out, uh, the preliminary report, you don't have to just take our word for it. It's, it's on the Internet. Read it. You know, start reading. Uh, the more I've learned, the more critical I am of the reporting. I think that's why Ross and I are doing what we're doing, because we just weren't seeing that anybody else was doing it. Well, Bryce, I'll leave you with this and I'll say thank you because uh, whenever I've hosted your colleague, Ross Coulter, I have to tick the explicit content button on Apple Podcasts and you <laughs> and I've not had to do that with yourself. So uh, thanks very much for your time and I look forward to having you back on. I thank you so much and, and to all your, uh, your listeners, thanks again and uh, keep up the good fight. Did you know that podcast advertising is way more effective than display advertising? With 67% of listeners remembering brands and 63% making a purchase after hearing them. Whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream, or test out podcast ads, Zencaster's creator network makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters. Zencaster's mission is to make podcast advertisements as easy and accessible to business owners as Google or Facebook. Host-read ads like this are the most effective form of podcast advertising. Zencaster works with podcasters to help create unique to them ad spots that create brand awareness and conversion. Zencaster's creator network is the perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favorite creators like me. 
I've worked with Zencaster now for some time and they truly put the content creators and the listeners at the heart of what they do. As a huge fan of podcasts myself, and I really mean that, I love podcasts, I often buy products or services that I find useful to me based on those pods that I'm listening to. It supports them and there's usually a good discount to go along with it. So if you're interested in sponsoring this show or another podcast with adverts for your business, go to zen.ai forward slash that UFO pod one That's the number one. Or click the link in the description and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life.